Hello and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad all of you are worshiping with us. We are starting a new series today um, on the life of Paul. Looking forward to that. Before we get into that, there's something about me I feel like you need to know. Some of you may already know this. But, um, you know, I, I think everybody knows, if you've been around here any amount of time, I'm a, I'm a big movie guy, and, uh, epic TV shows kind of deal. Um, and my, one of my favorite, one of my favorite genres is, is, like, is like a really good prequel movie or a really good prequel series, some kind of origin story. And so, like, the, the one that immediately came to my mind was, and this is a little dark, you can judge me. Anyways, I think one of the best series ever is Breaking Bad. I just, I just thought it was great. It was really good, very well done. And then a few years ago, they came out with a, with a, with a essentially a prequel series called Better Call Saul that talks about the years that led up to it. And there's a part of me that wants to say that might have been even better. I mean, it was just really, really good. And I just love it because not only is it telling a great story, but it's also kind of helping set the table for all these cool things that happened here. And so I love all of this. I love all, all things kind of like this. And so as a guy who grew up with uh, Star Wars, um, going to see the original movies, and you people who are, you know, there's probably no, maybe a few people in here who are old, old like me. But you don't understand that there was like, there was a 15-year period there, like Star Wars, there was just no Star Wars. There was no Star Wars. It was It was hurtful. But then all of a sudden they started making these movies and they were prequels. Like, how did Darth Vader become Darth Vader? And it was awesome. The movies weren't great. But the, the, idea, the idea was awesome and, and, I, and I loved watching it. And um, the Harry Potter books, number six, is kind of one of my favorites. And again, because it kind of tells the origin of the bad guy in, in the books, which I think is really cool. And then they made some movies that like were prequel kind of movies from, you know, 50s or maybe even 100 years earlier or whatever, right? And they weren't great either. But I saw all three of them, and even though they weren't good, I would have seen four, five, six, seven, however many of you want to make, I would have gone back because I just, I love that kind of thing. Now, um, this also popped into my head earlier today, actually. I've never seen, and somebody got mad at me in the first service. If you want to get mad at me about this too, you can feel free to get mad at me. I've never watched uh, Big Bang Theory. Just never have. I'm just not interested in it. But um, uh, at, at Planet Fitness, uh, where I go to the gym, apparently there's a channel that is dedicated nonstop to young Sheldon. I don't live under a rock, so I know what Big Bang Theory is, and I'm familiar with this. And even then, like, I'm not listening to the sound. I do find it fascinating that they have this show that this, you know, the super smart guy or whatever is, you know, grew up in this super conservative southern town. I'm like, that's really, inter- that's really interesting to me. And if you told me tomorrow that they were making an origin story of Doc Brown from Back to the Future, I'm 100% in. A TV series on the high school life of Ross and Rachel and uh, Monica, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% in. I just love it. And um, 
you know, depending on how long you've been walking with God and how familiar you are with the Bible, you probably know that um, a, a good portion, most of our New Testament, certainly uh, was written by a guy named Paul. And he is rightly considered probably the most significant, important theologian in Christian history. Um, he, I mean, certainly after Jesus died in, that, in those first 20 to 30 years is kind of the, the most important voice on the reflection of kind of what does it really mean to be a Christian? What, what do we believe? What is the Christian life supposed to be about? And he spent the, this significant portion of his life not only starting churches, but also dealing with controversies and helping churches understand, hey, this is what Christian living is supposed to be like. Hey, we believe this. We don't believe this. This is who Jesus is. This is not who Jesus is. And he has this incredible voice. And often, with some people, he is greatly misunderstood. Or I would say underappreciated. Because every now and then, he certainly has a tone. He has a tone that, is, that can be strong. From time to time, and he may say some things, as any great leader or thinker will, will say something. Maybe you're not vibing. Maybe you don't like. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't like that. Which you know you feel bad about because I'm reading the Bible. But it's like, and 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 it has led some people to be like, you know, I'm really into Jesus. I like Jesus, but I'm not sure about Paul. I'm not sure about this guy. And so what we're going to do today, and what we're going to do for essentially for this entire series is we want to spend some time getting to know this guy because he is of incredible importance and he does speak with authority and he has written scripture. He's not just, we don't have just a record of his opinions, but God used him to write authoritative scripture in his word. And I think it is, we can be really, really helpful for us as we think about and we read and reflect and we study on all of these incredible things that he has to say. Where did he come from? Where did he get this particular perspective where, where did his authority come from? What was his journey like? Who is this guy that has written so much and has been so incredibly influential, second only to Jesus, really, influential in the history and understanding of what does it mean to be a Christ follower? So we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks just kind of looking in to Paul's story. And we're going to start here in this passage in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going we're to start here because he's kind of reflecting a little bit on who he was um, before he came, became a Christian. And we're going to talk about this story that Paul has. We're going to talk about it in three acts today, kind of his conversion story. I don't know if you're familiar with his conversion story. It was one of those top 52 stories. Like Growing up in Sunday school, going to church, we heard the same stories every year on loop, every year. Right? First grade class, you hear them. They would grow up a little bit with you, but it was the same stories. And this was one of them, the story of his conversion. And we're going to talk about this story kind of in three acts. We'll talk about here, like kind of, kind of who he was before. And in Philippians chapter 3, he's in this controversy about whether or not your goodness or your righteousness comes from what you do or who Jesus is. Is it me? Is it me that is making me a good person by, by how hard I work and how hard I try? Or is it what Jesus did and is continuing to do in my life? And so he's interacting with some people who are bragging about how good they are. Like they, I'm, I'm a good person. And this is an incredible flex here that he does here in Philippians chapter 3. I find it fascinating because he's saying you shouldn't brag. You shouldn't be bragging about stuff like this. And then he goes, 
But if, but if I were to brag, but if I, if, if I were, I'm, you shouldn't brag, and I'm not going to brag, but if I were to brag, here's what I would say. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Describes himself as faultless. And so what is he saying? He's like, listen, I was a Jew. I wasn't just a Jew. I I wasn't some regular Jew. I did all the things right. I was circumcised when I was supposed to be. I'm part of this particular tribe. And not only as a part of this tribe, I was, I was a Pharisee. And a Pharisee is kind of this elite sect of people who kind of like, I mean, they, they took everything very seriously. I, I passionately defended um, my faith against people, these Christians who were kind of opposing what we were doing. And when we made, all, we made all of these rules about how you were supposed to live, and based on these rules we had, you could not find one fault in me. I did everything right. I had all of the right pedigree. And the way I was living according to our rules, you could not, you could not find anything to do. You couldn't find any fault in me. And so the way that Paul is describing himself, and really the way that I would describe him, Act one of his life, act one of him before he becomes a Christian, right? That Paul was someone who was sincere in his faith and he was morally good. He was, very, he was sincere and he was good. And I battle tested this with my wife last night at the Pesto Cafe in Fayetteville. And I said, this is what I'm going to talk about. And I said this, I mean, and the first thing out of her mouth, exactly when it was going to come out of her mouth, said, wasn't he involved in a murder Wait, 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 wait. So this, and I'm going through all this explanation. No, 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 no. You got, think about it. Think about, think about it like this. This is happening, right? And, and I'm, I'm doing this in, in the cafe, right? Listen, think about it from his perspective. Think about it from his group's perspective, right? In Acts chapter 8, a guy named Stephen, who's not one of the, the 12 apostles, but kind of this next tier layer leaders there in the church, has been arrested for talking about Jesus too much and they put him on trial and he gives this incredible sermon about who Jesus is and about the way that uh, we as Jewish people have been thinking about all of this wrongly and you need to repent and, and they get so angry at him that they decide right there on the spot to convict him and stone him to death. And Paul, uh, Paul saw kind of the same name, saw, it's depending on whether it's the Hebrew or a Greek pronunciation of his name, same name, same guy. It says he's sitting there, and he's holding their cloaks, and it says that he approved of all of this. Okay? So he was involved in that, but think about it from his perspective, from their group's perspective. He was a dangerous revolutionary. Here was somebody who was trying to upend everything. Uh, He was trying to change their culture. He was trying to change their religion. He was trying to change their, their status. He was disrupting their position with respect to the Romans that were occupying them. He was making everything around them unstable. He was a heretic. And, and sometimes you, got, you have to deal with revolutionaries. And so from inside of his group, he was doing all of the right things. 
Now we look back on it with perspective, but in his mind, in his world, amongst his people, he was good and he was very sincere and devout in his faith. And I bring all of this up because I want us to think about him and his story a little bit differently. Because very often the story gets told, and I kind of want us to reimagine some parts of this, that he was this horrible murderer who had this insanely unrealistic supernatural experience and then became this wild man missionary for Jesus. And we, we, we've elevated his story and, and highlighted certain parts of it where it doesn't become particularly relatable. But if I were to say that this was a story who a man who was very sincere in what he believed, thought he was right and was trying to be a good person, and based on the rules of what he thought were being a good person, he was a good person, and that, well, that's, that's a lot of us. And sometimes when we think about people who really need Jesus, someone who is sincere in their faith, it's not Christian, but they have a faith, they're sincere in it. We think, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or we think, man, I don't want to talk. They don't really need Jesus. They're already a good person. They're already a good person, and they are sincere in their faith. That's what Paul was. Because if I were to say about you or about somebody we both know, I was like, whoo, man, they need Jesus. Now, is that, a, is that a compliment? Is that a universal statement? It's, it's a pejorative, right? It's an insult. Man, they need Jesus, right? You know who needs Jesus? Everyone needs Jesus. But we set this category up that sincere people, good people, they don't. But that's exactly what Paul was. Because really his story, his story is very similar to my own story. I grew up going to church and at about seven years old um, made this decision based on what I understood about who Jesus was and about what his death on the cross was. I made a decision that I wanted to follow him and that I wanted to get baptized and I talked to my parents about it. I talked to my pastor about it and then at seven I got baptized and it was a significant moment for me. I understood the gospel as well I think as a seven-year-old can and then a few years later I was 12 and I've been, you know, still really just a kid. Not an incredibly deep thinker. I mean, I guess, you know, as much as a kid can be. But I remember there was this moment, there was this thunderstorm. And it woke me up in the middle of the night. And before then and after then, I've never been scared of weather. My wife can tell you story after story about sleeping through uh, tornado alarms. And even when I wake up, I just roll over and go back to sleep. I don't care. Weather's not going to get you. My wife, on the other hand, Layla, everybody but me, I don't care. But there was something about this night. There was something about this night in particular. It, I, was, I was scared. And I think for the first time maybe, I was really contemplating the seriousness and depth of what, of what death is. And I remember praying in that moment, God, I don't necessarily remember exactly everything that I was thinking and believing when I was seven. But I want to say this to you. I love you and I want to follow you. And I immediately went back to sleep. And that is a very vivid story for me. I remember the curtains. I remember the bit. I mean, I just remember everything about, about, that, about that story. And then I spend my teenage years, I would say, I don't know if I would say being a good Christian, but I was a good member of my church, doing everything that I was supposed to be doing. And I was a pretty good listener, and I understood what it meant, what I thought what I was hearing, what it meant to be a good Christian. 
And there were always there were two things. Two things were very Church attendance, which we did, we never missed. I can count on one finger the number of times we missed church because we either weren't, we were out of town or somebody was sick. Other than that, one time we ever chose not to come to church. We were, we were faultless when it came to that. And then there were three things that were obviously very important. Don't drink, don't smoke, and don't have sex. And if you can come to church and not do these three things, and just in case you're wondering, dancing is a, it's a subset. It's a subset of sex. Don't have sex dancing. It's kind of like a subcategory. Anyways, so you come to church all the time, and you don't do these three things, and you're, and you're good. And I was good. I was good. I did all the things. I was who I was supposed to be. And you fast forward a few years. I'm a freshman in college. And a guy for the first time really in my life, he looks at me. He's like, you understand that God's not interested just simply in your church attendance and your relative morality. He wants your, he wants your life. And, and really, I think for the first time, I was confronted by something deeper than just religion and morality and that God was wanting something deeper, some sort of real life change. And so we've got this guy, Paul, living this life, a very religious life, a good life. And we find ourselves here now in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. See, I know I was kind of sitting here, sabotage this verse. Take one verse to sabotage. My whole good point there. Murderous threats. I get it. I get it. Okay. He's breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. But again, this is a matter of zealousness. He was being zealous for God, he believed. Anyways. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is how Christianity was described at that time. So that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he talks to the leaders and he's like, hey, I'm going to go to Damascus. Hey, give me this thing. Give me this document that says that if I find anybody who says that, what we would say, someone who's a Christian, that I can arrest them. And so he has this. Now he's going to Damascus with, with the plan of if he finds any Christians to arrest them. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So he's living this life that he thinks is full of sincerity and goodness following God. And all of a sudden, boom, act two, Paul encounters Jesus. Jesus hits him there on the road. He is, he is going on this road to Damascus. Before he gets there, this bright light comes out of the sky. 
And if you've been around, if you've been around church long enough, maybe you've even heard some of these expressions, like a, a road to Damascus moment. I, I never really saw a big bright light as people are describing their own journey. But this is what happens to Paul. He's living what he believes is a very dedicated life for God. And he's going on this journey, and boom, this light comes out of the sky. And he's like, Paul, what are you doing? He's like, who are you? I am Jesus, and you are persecuting me. And then it says he turns blind, which is really interesting because when you think about being in darkness, because Jesus describes himself this way, the world is in darkness, people are in darkness, and Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus brings the light to the darkness. That all sounds very positive. That sounds like a great thing. Wow, that's amazing. That's so good that Jesus brings light to darkness. Let me ask you, is bringing light to darkness a good thing? It, de- it depends. It, de- it, depends on what, it depends on what you're doing and if you want the light to be turned on. The story that, 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 that I think of is we have these little lamps that are kind of hung above our headboard. And they're each individual, they have on the cord, and it's got the little click, 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 click thing on the cord itself. Well, my Heidi's, I unplug mine for this very reason. Heidi, Heidi she, her, her cord sometimes will get trapped behind the headboard. And there was one night around, it's about 3 o'clock in the morning or so, she, um, she's going to the bathroom. And as she's getting up out of bed, apparently she put her hand on the, on the headboard, and the like, click, and now the light's on. Who's having a good time? Nobody. Nobody's glad that the light's on. I don't, I don't want the light. In fact, for a hot second, you can't see. The light is unwelcome. If I were to stare at this light for more than a couple of seconds, or maybe even less than a couple of seconds, like it's, 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 un, it's unsettling. Too much light if you're not ready for it, if you're not looking for it, if you don't want it. And so he experiences the light of Jesus, and it is not good news for him. Because he is a proud man. He is a good man. He is a sincere man. He is living the life the way life is supposed to be lived. He doesn't need life. He is perfectly content in the darkness in which he leads. And when he is exposed by the light, you are not who you think you are. You are not doing what you should be doing. The light shines on him Paul, who do you think you are? Why are you persecuting me? The light did not bring him salvation. It did not help him to not be lost anymore. It brought, it made him blind. He encounters Jesus and now he's blind. But it was an absolute essential step for him because he thought the whole time he could see. He's actually been blind the whole time, spiritually. And coming to face with the literal light that Jesus brought, brought literal blindness to expose the fact that he had been blind all along. And that despite all of the rules that he was following, how good he was at his religion, he was broken desperate and a sinner 
And we talk about Paul's conversion, at least this is the story, the way the story has been told to me, as if it was an instant conversion. Jesus, bright light, boom. Now he, now he follows Jesus. That's not the way this story plays out. Three days is what he says. And his companions are the ones that are with him. They didn't know what happened to him. All they knew, there was some light and they heard some, they could hear some noise. I don't know what this is. And now I know Paul can't see anymore. We got we to gotta get him somewhere. So they take him somewhere. Like, to, like to, a, to, a, to an inn. Like for three days. For three days. He's blind. Doesn't eat. Doesn't drink. Reflecting on who he is. What his life meant. What his value should be. Who, am I who I thought I was? Am I a good person? Or am I a sinner in desperate need of Jesus Christ? So his encounter with Jesus brought him humility. Which I think if there are those of us here who would describe ourselves in some way, the way that so many of us have, the way that I think that Paul would have, the way I would have as a teenager, I am a good person and relatively religious. An encounter with Jesus needs to break that down. I think a real encounter with Jesus will break that down. And there may be some of you here who remember that, that moment for you when you realized... I thought I was good. I thought I was doing all the right things. And then I heard about Jesus. Then I experienced Jesus. And I realized something was wrong. And so God talks to this guy, Ananias. Sweet, poor Ananias. All of a sudden, he's saying, hey, uh, Ananias, God says. Hey, I got, uh, I got old Paul over here. Oh, great. You mean the guy who was coming here to throw us all in jail? Great. I hope he's in jail. No, no, no. It's not like that at all. Um, he's my boy now, and I need you to go talk to him. And he's like, I'm absolutely not doing that. I'm not going to wait 10 feet of this guy because he's got a piece of paper that says as soon as he sees one of us, he's going to arrest us. Acts 9, starting verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. So he thought he was doing just fine. Thought he was doing just fine. And then the light of Jesus hits him. He's like, I am not fine. Never have been. I'm a, I'm a broken sinner. And after three days of reflection, one of God's people, a servant, follower of Jesus, named Ananias, comes and talks to him. Talks to him about Jesus, and it says that like scales, they fall. And he can see again. And he's described by uh, God to Ananias. This is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to the kings and to the people of Israel. I have a special plan for him. Special plan for him. 
And his life is now about to be completely and totally undone and remade. And so act three, now Paul's life is centered around the gospel. He used to think he was a good person, sincere religious follower. He encounters Jesus and it undoes him. And then by following Jesus, by receiving him, now God has said, now your life, this is what your life is going to be about, this gospel. And the thing about Paul's story is not that it is unusual. It's not that it is so different than what we can relate to. It's just like every element of it is just a little bigger. We think of ourselves as good, honest, sincere, religious people. Well, Paul's better. We have some sort of encounter with Jesus, but he was like bright light, stop you, blind you. Literal blindness. And God wants to remake your life and center it around the gospel. He's this elite missionary, and again, the most influential person next to Jesus in the history of Christianity. Everything about his story is accelerated, it's intensified, but it is our story of so many of us who are just kind of walking around thinking we've got it all put together, that we understand everything and that we're good and that we're religious. But then someday, at some point, the reality of the gospel hits. And the imagery that is used by Jesus and in the rest of the New Testament about what happens when you get confronted with the gospel, it's not change. Oh, you were like this, and then you changed. It's not improvement. You were like this, and you got a little bit better. The imagery that is used, blindness to sight, old to new, death to life. Supernatural things that only God can do. You can make improvements. You can make changes. You can get a little bit better. But you can't take something old and make it new. You can't, you can't take something someone is blind and make them see. You cannot take something that is dead and bring it back to life. These are the things that God does. It is a total remaking, an undoing and redoing of his life. We are not here because we're good and religious and maybe I should be a little bit better and a little bit more religious. We are here to encounter Jesus Christ. And when we see and experience the light of that, we will be aware, maybe a way we never have been, of the darkness that is in us and our need for forgiveness and redemption and restoration in our relationship with God. And then he makes us new. And as we spent some time in our next series, and as we'll see in the life of Paul, now we're made new, and now he's got a new life for us, new goals, new vision, new direction. You're a new person. And if you are still stuck in that space of I'm trying to be good, if you're still in your act one, I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to be religious, but I've never really been confronted really by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today will be your day. And you can have a moment where the light of Jesus kind of shines on who you are. And it shows you who you are and it shows you who Jesus is and it shows you 
who God wants you to be. And I pray that you would invite Jesus into your life, that you would ask for the forgiveness that comes through his death on the cross. But for those of us here who have made that decision, the reason why this, keeps, this, this idea keeps coming up all the time in Paul's letters about the gospel, about the absolute nature of the gospel, is the thing that he says is you, you don't want to get into the pattern of I'm good and religious, I encounter Jesus, and now I'm good with a different religion. Now, he changed my belief system. He took me from over here, I was the wrong religion, and I was going to hell, and now I'm in the right religion, and I'm, and I'm going to heaven, and I have a new belief system. The change in your eternal destination and in the change of your belief system are a part of what he's doing, but that's, that's, not, that's not all he's doing. This is a small piece. He's changing us. And Paul says this same gospel that saves you is the gospel that sustains you. You're never going to graduate from your need to reflect and to, and to deeply be connected that life is found in Jesus Christ. And so whether you are encountering this for the first time, it, maybe it's really hitting you for the first time or it's just hitting you for the next time. Let's take some time and really reflect on the power and depth of the gospel. So we're going to worship. So let's worship with our whole hearts. We've got a response area in the back that, that I want to make sure that I, I highlight more. We've got communion available back there every week. We'd love for you to take that and reflect on Jesus' death what it means for you. There's prayer candles where you can, the symbolism for prayer. People love to pray with you. There's a cross where you can pray. Regardless of your posture or your location, let's take some time and really reflect on the power and depth of what the gospel can and will do in our lives. Let me pray. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. The life that he lived, the death that he died, the resurrection. And God, I thank you that we can find life there. And God, I pray that we would. That God, that we would not look to be fine-tuning our religion. Simply just trying to get a little bit better. But God, that we would be changed by the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for Paul that as sensational as his story is, how at the same time it is highly relatable. And God, I pray that if we're walking around blind and don't know it, God, that we would see your light. And then God, that we can see we can see that life is found in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast. And you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcast or just in other 
issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast, which is on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.